Sooners Extra Podcast, powered by the Oklahoma, and I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here with columnist Barry Trammell and a uh, new voice joining us today, uh, Justin Martinez. Justin, uh, welcome to the OU Beat. I appreciate it. Happy to be on the beat. Well, I guess let's let's just start off with a little bit of an introduction of you, Justin, and, and uh, what you're going to be doing. Uh, you're going to be obviously covering uh, OU for us quite a bit with uh, men's basketball as a focus, but we'll be doing quite a bit of football, uh, baseball, and uh, probably a little bit of everything else. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so coming over from Las Cruces, New Mexico, that's where I was last working. Uh, moved around a bit these past few years since, since graduating from college. And, uh, yeah, I got out here about a month ago and just uh, excited to, to get started with the beat year. Yeah, excited to uh, have you here for sure. Uh, you had your first experience with the with Big 12 Media Days uh, o- over the last few days. What was your impression of, of that event? Yeah, it was cool. I mean, I'm sure everyone there was just happy to to be actually at an event, you know, especially with how last season went. Um, but I, I thought it was a cool event, cool to get to talk to everyone. Um, you know, a lot of new faces, obviously, with me being new uh, to the beat and stuff. But it was, it was a cool experience. Yeah, no doubt. It was definitely nice to be back there at that after not having it last year and, and everything being so abnormal. Uh, during during last football season, nice to uh, uh, get back to to some sense of normality for sure. Uh, let, let's uh, d- focus on on that, uh, Barry. Um, uh, one of the things that came out of, of of Thursday's day, even though OU went on Wednesday, uh, was the uh, uh, talk about horns down, which seems to be an annual discussion at Big Twelve Media Days about will they penalize it, will they not. It didn't seem like the answer changed much, uh, but whatever the answer is, always is going to uh, uh, draw uh, attention, ire from OU and Texas folks, and uh, just sort of blow up into a big story. You're right. The, you know, Greg Burks, the uh, director of Big 12 Officiating, uh, did his annual seminar on rule changes and he was asked about the horns down and he, he gave the same answer that we've heard for the last three or four years, which is, you know, if you, if you direct it at a, at a longhorn, you're going to get penalized for taunting. And if you don't direct it at a longhorn, you're not going to get penalized for taunting. <laughs> so it's not, it was not news breaking. It was nothing new, but it's an evergreen subject gets everybody fired up. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's just something, something we've always had, something we've always, uh, lived with in, in the, uh, not just the OU Texas rivalry, but all, all games involving the Longhorns. Will Greer, the West Virginia quarterback in, was it 18, I think? Yeah, I think it was 2018. Uh, 18, of course, famously threw the horns down. Sort of kicked off the latest. The latest uh, round of, of discussion about this, but it's just pretty clear. If you're trying to be confrontational with an opponent, you're going to get flagged. If not, you know you're not. Someone asked me 
in an email, if, if Longhorns flash the uh, the horns up sign, the hook them horns, are they going to get penalized? And I said, well, if they do it in the face of an opponent, yeah, they're going to, I think. So I don't know. I don't know why everybody uh, continues to settle on this, but it's, you know, it's Texas. It's the hook them sign. It's just part of it, I guess. Yeah, it is. I, I think, uh, Barry, for me, the thing that sort of, I don't know, I'm going to say got Greg Burks in trouble, but made this a, a bigger deal was his use of the word probably. Had he, had he not said probably that if you flash the hook em horn sign, uh, at an opponent, you're probably going to get flagged. If you flash it, uh, at the crowd, you're probably not going to. I think if he just wouldn't have said probably, it's not as as big a story, at least among fans, as it is uh, right now. Well, I mean, I think he's just given his officials cover, you know. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, probably. I mean, yeah, if you, uh, you know, in the NBA, if you wrap up a guy going in for a layup, it's probably going to be a foul. Not always, as we saw in game four of the NBA Finals, so... You know, you can't you can't make any guarantees in officiating, but basically that's going to be the rule: is don't don't taunt the opponent, don't try to engage the opponent in some sort of negative way. You know, we we've seen this as a as a uh, continuing issue. We saw it last year with uh, in Bedlam with uh, uh, with Brendan Radley Hiles and. Well, he gets that taunting penalty after the third down incompletion for OSU, and uh, the, here came the flag. He's talking smack at Brazen Johnson or somebody. I can't remember who. And Buki. Was, uh, was it Stoner? Uh, well, I can't remember. Maybe it was. I can't remember. But he, he keeps talking smack, and the referee throws the flag, extends the Cowboy drive. They score a touchdown. So um, this is not going to be – uh, de-emphasized. It's going to be overemphasized because it's every year they bring it up. Every year it's a priority. We're going to try to get the, the smack talking out of the game. Um, so that I think that's something to keep an eye on as we as we uh, begin this 2021 season. Yeah, Ju- Justin, what do you make of uh, all of this uh, horns down, hook'em talk yesterday? Yeah, I mean, like you guys have said, it's been a discussion. It's nothing new necessarily. Um, I just think it's interesting when you hear from the Texas players, they're kind of also saying, you know, it's it's just part of the rivalry. You know, it's it's a part of talking smack to each other. Um, and the way the Texas players have said was pretty much, you know, if you're doing that, then cool, but we're just going to focus on what we're doing. And I think that's all that it is. It's just a matter of, of – sort of what comes with the rivalry, and I really don't think it's as big a deal as a bunch of people are making it out to be. Yeah, no doubt, but at least it gives us something to talk about here in uh, <laughs> late July, um, you know, to, to keep other topics fresh. Uh, Justin, from from what we heard on Wednesday, from, from Lincoln Riley, from Jeremiah Hall, Nick Benito, uh, what was the biggest thing that stood out to you or maybe the, the biggest uh, surprise among the, the things that those three had to say? Yeah, I don't know if it was much of a surprise. I guess it was a surprise that he actually said it, but the big thing that I thought was interesting was Lincoln Riley talking about how uh, Arlington was their second home. I thought that was uh, 
a pretty good way to open it up for him. And I mean, I guess that kind of sets the tone for just what the expectations are for this team this season. You know, that they are expected to be the team that you have to go through if you do want to be able to win a, a conference title here. So I thought that was one of the more interesting things, um, just hearing them kind of a address, you know, instead, instead of just kind of ignoring the fact that they are the favorites, the elephant in the room, they're sort of embracing it a little bit. And uh, I thought that was a pretty interesting thing there. Yeah, and that's sort of been uh, Lincoln Riley and the Sooners' M.O. in recent years, especially as the streak gets extended. You can't run from it, so you might as well embrace it. But at, at the same time, obviously, he always emphasizes that, yeah, it's a new year and uh, this this thing isn't as easy as maybe they've made it look over the past uh, few years, past six years, when they've made this uh, run of Big 12 titles. Uh, what about you, Barry? What uh, what stood out to you? Oh, as it, as it concerns the Sooners, um, you know, I, I guess it would be something along the lines of how sort of understated I think Lincoln was about his loaded roster. Um, this looks like the best roster he's had in his five seasons as coach. He really didn't talk any different than he has the other four. Um, I wouldn't expect him to, but the idea that that uh, OU is as good or better than ever is certainly a predominant theme of this season. Um you know, I asked Matt Wells, the tech coach, I said, well, what have you learned about the Big 12 that you didn't really know before you took the job three years ago? And he had a bunch of good answers, but one of the things he said has been reinforced is the championship goes through Norman and it's, it's becoming, um, you know, it's becoming a dynasty and that, you know, Barry Switzer and Bob Stoops never won this many conference titles in a row. Um, Switzer had a uh, Switzer had a co-championship in '78, but they had lost to Nebraska, so it really didn't feel like one. So um, this idea that OU is just not just winning big in the conference, but it looks like it's going it's going to continue to happen, and Lincoln really just talking like normal. That's sort of what struck me. I mean, they're so good on both lines. When, 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 one of you guys asked him this yesterday, I forgot who, but somebody asked, or Tuesday, or Wednesday, somebody asked Lincoln, you know, what's the biggest concern? And he basically said, well, probably wide out. Well, when Oklahoma's biggest <laughs> problem is finding wide receivers, let me tell you, they don't have a lot of problems. Uh, cause wide receivers fall out of trees in Norman. So, um, so it's a loaded season, and I, and I think everybody knows that. And uh, and Lincoln was trying. It looked to me like he's just trying to keep a steady ship and and, and do everything as normal. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I don't think there's any doubt that the expectations expectations in Norman are always high. They people in Norman, at least, always expect uh, national championships, and in the state. Uh, national championships virtually every year, but just the overall hype around this team is, is certainly at a different level for a lot of reasons, but uh, certainly 
at the forefront of that is, is Spencer Rattler. Uh, his expectations, uh, his status as a Heisman Trophy favorite, entering his second year as a starter, and then the the improvement of the defense. Um, uh, you know, certainly that's a big thing. I, I you know, I, I thought a couple things were interesting. First of all, uh, Nick Benito, and I, I wrote about this a little bit. Uh, well, I wrote about Nick Benito specifically, but uh, didn't get as in depth as as I'd like to at some point before long, but. The evolution of him as a de- as a defensive player, as a linebacker, as a person, I thought was really interesting to talk about uh, both what Benito said and, and what Lincoln Riley said about him, how far removed he was from that just a couple years ago when he started, uh, red-shirted his first year, didn't play much, and then Mike Stoops gets fired. Mike Stoops being uh, the guy who uh, convinced him to come to Norman – and yeah, he, he said that was tough, but that transition between Mike Stoops to Ruffin McNeil and then finally to Alex Grinch, I think he grew a lot uh, during that time. And hearing some of the specifics of how he was able to do that, what was going through his mind, his his uh, approach to the game uh, was was really interesting. And those conversations with Alex Grinch in the early days after his arrival in Norman, how much that helped sort of refocus him uh, was interesting. And then the other thing that really stood out to me was uh, some of the stuff that Jeremiah Hall had to say about Mike Woods, the the, uh, the Arkansas transfer who's uh, played in Arkansas spring game and then surprisingly a couple days later announced that he was transferring and transferring to Oklahoma and talking about his approach and sort of the professional way that he's gone about uh, preparing and, and learning this offense, which at times isn't easy to learn. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to watch. I don't I don't know that he's going to be the number one wide receiver, certainly on this team when you talk about what Marvin Mims was able to do last year, what uh, we saw from Theo Weiss over the last half of the season especially, and then what's expected of Jaden Hazelwood, but I, I think Woods is a really intriguing guy for what he can offer and, and the experience that he's had in the SEC. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's going to be that deep threat guy, um, which obviously Spencer has the arm for it. Um, so I think he could really be a, a pretty good fit for him. As Yeah, like you said, probably not that, that number one option that's probably going to go to a guy like Mims, but sort of one of the under-the-radar connections when it comes to the quarterback and wide receivers. Yeah, and Barry, that speaks to your point about uh, the, the wide receiver group. Yeah, there's a lot of questions about this group, especially because of, uh, you know, the the up-and-down nature of, of Theo Weiss and obviously coming off the, the injury that he had in the spring. You've got, uh, you know, Jaden Hazelwood with what he was going through Last year didn't play a lot, but we saw some uh, flashes of brilliance from him uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, uh, Mims, uh, with what he did, especially early to mid-season last year, and then there at the very end. Um, so it, it's not like they don't have guys. It's just a question of how that's going to be divided over there. Yeah, and, you know, Woods is the perfect example of what I was talking about, you know, from, from – uh, Jalen Saunders and on down the list, guys, you know, Hollywood Brown, who's a junior college guy, and uh, D.D. Westbrook, junior college guy, and, you know, this 
you know, guys just showing up and it's, and you know, become great players. So it's, it, it, OU never will have a problem, I don't think, with, with filling the wide receiver core. So if that's indeed what Lincoln's most worried about, uh, then I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too worried. Uh, I am intrigued to see Woods though. Uh, you mentioned his story. That is fascinating. A guy, uh, transfers after the spring game. Um, that's, that's very rare. Um, people do transfer, you know, there's all kinds of transfer portaling going on, but go through spring practice, play in the spring game. That's, that's, you know, you don't, you don't see that very often. Yeah, no doubt about it. He'll be one of the more intriguing guys to watch here, uh, as preseason camp gets started and into early in the season to see just how he's able to fit into this offense. Uh, Justin, uh, also a lot of talk about, uh, a lot of other things, uh, among OU players and coaches there, or Lincoln Riley at Big 12 Media Day. I thought, you know, one of the interesting things was, uh, when you talk about the potential for uh, COVID protocols and, and vaccination rates, things like that, uh, that uh, Lincoln Riley said that a big sort of kicker uh, in the push to, to get guys vaccinated, and he said it wasn't about, you know, forcing guys to or or even really heavily encouraging guys to, more than just laying out the facts of, of what's going to happen if you're not and what's going to happen if you are and, and trying to educate guys about the vaccinations. But I thought an interesting thing was he said after John Rahm and what happened in the memorial for him as he's leading that tournament to be removed due to a positive COVID test, that there was a big uptick on the team as far as vaccination rates. I thought that that was something interesting that Lincoln Riley brought up the other day. Yeah, I mean, money talks, and when a guy misses out on a pretty, almost $1.7 million payout, you know, it's it's going to get your attention. Um, and I think that certainly was the case for the players uh, getting that uptick because, you know, they aren't able to, to mandate that everybody goes and gets vaccinated. The team isn't. Um, but like Lincoln had said, it's pretty much those, those real-life events that will really resonate with guys. But yeah, he's not able to mandate it. But Barry, we we did hear him say, "Hey, if you you think we're not uh, taking those things into consideration, and it, it's maybe not uh, a, a deciding factor where you're going to put in a guy who's not ready, who's been vaccinated over somebody who is and hasn't." But it, it seemed like he sort of said, "Hey, if the the tiebreaker, if you need a tiebreaker." Maybe that's it because you don't have to worry about losing a guy for, uh, you know, uh, two, three weeks. Well, you know, Bob Bowlesby on Wednesday sort of intimated that, you know, the vaccinated players will not have to undergo testing or as much testing, perhaps, whatever the case may be. I think that would serve as enough motivation. Um and we've seen in the NFL where that is going to be the case, where if you, you, you hit a certain threshold with your vaccination rate, you know, the, the uh, series of testing uh, goes away for, for NFL rosters. That would be a severe, to me, that would be major motivation. But 
uh, in the NFL, very similar to what you said about Lincoln, Peter King reported a couple months ago, a, uh, an anonymous NFL coach said, you know what, if, if, if it comes down to it and we got to pick some people for the roster, he said, that's going to be a consideration. He said, we don't, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to be too discriminatory, but the, the testing process and the protocols were very oppressive and very, uh, distracting is the wrong word, but they, you know, they really put a damper on the entire season. And if we can, we can be free of some of those. And the way we do it is, you know, get a certain percentage of the roster, um, above that threshold. He said, that's an easy call. It's not, not a difficult call to make. If, if two guys are fairly close and one's vaccinated and one's not, and he said, well, we'll cut the, we'll cut the guy who's not vaccinated. So I would think that would serve as motivation. Um, nobody's getting cut at OU, but when you think about travel rosters, when you think about, you know, those kinds of things, for, to me, that's a pretty easy call. It, yeah, it, it, it certainly will be and will be. And we'll see how this plays out because certainly it's going to continue to be a, a big uh, topic of conversation, especially, you know, with what we've seen with the uh, uh, Delta variant and all the, the talk about that. Um, now let's, let's move on to a, another hot topic this week, perhaps the hottest topic at Big 12 Media Days, uh, the, the new impl- implication of uh, name, image, and likeness regulations, and uh, something big that we saw uh, come out of uh, Thursday night after Big 12 Media Days had, had wrapped up, uh, Spencer Rattler uh, doing a signing where, uh, at least according to uh, Darren Ravel of uh, ActionNetwork.com, says that... Uh, uh, Rattler will be charging $150 for an autograph, $60 uh, per inscription, and $150 to take a photo with him. And, and this is all taking place in Chicago here uh, in uh, a couple of weeks. Uh, Justin, I don't think that was a surprise necessarily that we would see that, but uh, certainly an interesting next step for uh, these new NIL uh, regulations. Yeah, like you said, especially for Rattler, who really has taken off and kind of hit the ground running when it comes to all these uh, these partnerships. I guess if it had to be someone to do it, it was probably going to be him. You know, he's already been on on Cameo. He's had the the Raising Cane sponsorship, uh, put out his own clothing line, stuff like that, his own merchandise. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a a sign of the new. The new times right now, where the players are getting more power, and you know he's taking advantage of it. Well, let me let me ask you guys a question. You're more hip than I am, mm-hmm. but what would be the market for Spencer Rattler autographs and photos in Chicago? Is this is it? It strikes me who in who in around Chicago be the least bit interested in doing that other than speculators, people who are thinking maybe this guy's going to be the number one pick in the draft and we'll, we'll get some autographs and some pictures and, and sit on them and hope he becomes a big star and then do whatever you do with that kind of stuff. But that, that number 
can't be a huge number. Is what what other market is there? I don't know. You know, if he's going to do that at the Oklahoma City Fairgrounds, okay. If he's going to do that at a Norman car dealership, okay. There's all kinds of people that would be interested. But I don't understand the marketplace here in Chicago. Can you enlighten me? Well, it's at the uh, National Sports Collectors Collectors Convention is uh, the the event that he's going to be at. Um, the, several other uh, celebrities, especially sports figures, are going to be there. You know, guys like Emmett Smith and uh, Hulk Hogan. This is all according to to Darren Ravel's uh, report, which you can read at ActionNetwork.com. Uh, Emmett Smith and Hulk Hogan uh, charge a little bit more at, at uh, right around two hundred thirty dollars each. But Spencer Rattler's number is the same as as Barry Sanders. Uh, which is crazy, uh, to, to Barry Sanders and Michael Irvin, who are the same price as, as Rattler at that event. So it, it's folks uh, that are coming to Chicago specifically uh, for this event. And it, it looks like there's a couple of other guys that are doing similar signings, but they're doing them, uh, you know, in the States where they're, they're uh, starring with a couple of Ohio State guys. So uh, we'll, we'll see what the reception is like there. But surely Spencer Rattler has been guaranteed a certain amount of money to uh, uh, to uh, show up at this event. Well, of course, I'm t- I'm asking questions because I don't know anything about this. But I don't. So this is a case of do do these people who should come to this convention are they walk do they, do they arrive with twenty thousand dollars and know they're going to know they're going to spend a good chunk of it on on these things or or, or these hardworking people who save up and are going to go spend three hundred dollars and figure out what one or two players they're going to use. I'm I'm trying to get a wrap it around my mind exactly what this thing looks like, and it just strikes me as it's crazy money for something that's basically worthless. It's not worthless. It's artificial value. So, but. I'm, I'm just intrigued by the whole, by the whole nature of the, of this, uh, this autograph world. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I'm looking up the, uh, the information for this convention and, um, a, a lot of these tickets now are, are sold out the, uh, what they call VIP and, and super VIP packages. But for instance, uh, you can get a package for 200 bucks. That you get uh, autograph tickets for all 18 free, uh, VIP signers. Uh, let's see, half hour early admission each day, use of a VIP lounge. Uh, so just the, the ticket for that is a couple hundred bucks. Um, you've got another tier at 139 and then a, another tier at just 19, uh, that'll get you in the door. So, um, you know, interesting. And to see what what the market winds up being, because you know for autographs, uh, you know some of these guys sign all the time, and and the value certainly uh, goes down and down. Especially you're talking about guys who are, uh, you know, in Spitzer Rattler's case, with the you know 20 years old or so. Um, if he's going to be signing for the next you know 50, 60 years, that uh, that value. Uh, would appear to uh you know certainly be far from uh, its peak right now 
Um, so it will be interesting to see how those guys are, are, are received. But, uh, you know, interesting looking at some of the, the names of the guys at this show. You've got, uh, ranges from, uh, Hulk Hogan, who I, I mentioned earlier. Ray Lewis is there. Uh, Mean Joe Green. Uh, Bill Walton. Uh, Pete Rose, who signs, uh, at everything. It, it seems like. Um, a couple of local guys, uh, you know, uh, Ron Harper, Charles Oakley, Horace Grant, uh, guys that are, uh, big there in Chicago. Um, Will Shields, uh, a guy that we're familiar with. So, uh, you know, be interesting to see what, the, what the, the market is like there, but, um, it's, it's certainly a different world, uh, that we're entering with, with NIL. Uh, Justin, what do you think, uh, maybe are, are some of the, the biggest surprises that we've seen here in the last, uh, two and a half weeks since the NIL, uh, became reality? Yeah, I guess just the speed at which it's happening. I mean, uh, Lincoln kind of touched on it at the, uh, the media days was that, you know, it's not just a matter of being able to go out to an event and somebody gives you a bag of money. You know, there's all these fees you have to now figure out these there's the uh the agents there's the the taxes you're gonna have to file stuff like that so the fact that a guy like spencer has hit the ground running this fast and is able to already have all these things set up um there's got to be a pretty good pretty good team working behind them uh behind the scenes so that's kind of the interesting thing to me is just the process of how all these things are happening so fast uh for a guy like him and then what about you, Barry? Um, well, the whole, I knew this a little bit before July 1st, as I read, but the whole notion of influencers and, and the social media, when you, when people tell me, you know, athletes are able to name, image, likeness, market themselves, blah, blah, blah. Of course, I'm old. I think of car dealers. I think, you know, Television commercials, those kinds of things. But this market for social media influencers, 18, 19, 20 year olds talking to other 18, 19, 20 year olds is massive and huge and profitable for some. So, um, the NIL explosion has sort of educated me on this world that I know not of. And that's where a lot of money is going to be. Um, it's also going to be where a lot of people bust and don't make a lot of money and uh, there's going to be a lot of winners and losers in in nil my hope is that nobody is loses money that i hope it's that it doesn't become sort of zero-sum game that you know everybody can make a little and maybe you know some can make a lot but this you know, this, this idea that, you know, two basketball female, female players from Fresno State can all of a sudden, you know, sign a contract for a half a million or whatever it was, or that the OSU wrestler, the, the day the sun comes up on July 1st, signs an apparel deal with a wrestling outfitter. Um, you know, those, those, these niche, uh, businesses or these niche products or these niche sports, that appeal to a certain segment can still be very profitable. That's interesting economically to me. So 
Uh, that's what I've learned so much so far from NIA. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're going to have some of those examples of, of wrestlers, of, of uh, women's basketball players, uh, of, of those kind of athletes that are going to, because of their personalities, and certainly A.J. Ferrari has this very outsized uh, personality and, and following, same with the, the, the Fresno State uh, pair that you mentioned, but... You know, it's hard for me to imagine that the the losers in this aren't going to be uh, the I don't know how to phrase this. I, well, I guess just lesser lesser known sports, lesser, lesser revenue, revenue sports, sports, lesser revenue athletes, because I I, I think uh, eventually some of this money that's generally been given just to the athletic department in in whole is just going to go straight to the athletes through these uh, NIL deals instead of uh, going uh, to the programs. And, and a lot of that money that goes to the programs sort of trickles down into those other sports. So I hope that we don't see a big contraction uh, in the, in those sports here uh, over the next, uh, you know, five, 10 uh, years or longer, but uh, sort of fear that that could be the case. Yeah. And what's, what's really concerning along those lines is if, you know, I saw Mark Emmert, the NCAA president yesterday made some comments that we may be nearing a time when we de-emphasize the NCAA and we de-emphasize central organization and central uh, management and that conferences and schools sort of start regulating themselves. Um, some sports exist because the NCAA mandates that you have certain sports. If there's no mandate, there will be some sports eliminated. So um, I don't think there's any doubt about that, and that is something to, to worry about and something to, to think about. It's The truth of the matter is the year of 2021 – is a watershed year in college athletics for a lot of reasons, uh, all of them related to player empowerment through uh, transfer freedom, through NIL, um, going back to 2020 through uh, expressing themselves and sort of taking a, a megaphone to uh, issues that they care about but really haven't been at the forefront much over the years. So going forward, college athletics are not going to look the same as we have seen them most of these last 40, 50, 60 years. Yeah, so that, that'll be certain, something that certainly we'll be talking about for a, a long, long time. But uh, we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much for joining us on the uh, Sooners Extra podcast. We'll be back. Uh, we'll try to do this every week. Uh, here leading up to uh, the college football season and, and make this a little bit more regular thing, especially now with uh, Justin being on board. Justin, once again, uh, welcome to the beat. Welcome to the Oklahoma. Welcome to the Sooners Extra podcast. And uh, look forward to uh, doing some good things uh, here uh, during the upcoming football season, which uh, is right up on us at this point. Yeah, without a doubt. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back uh, next week with another 
Sooners Extra podcast. Until then, you can check out our work every day at Oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage anywhere.